I want to see what that dad bod can do out there. Not buying your banjos around the campfire. Shove them up your ass. Good morning, good afternoon, or whatever time it is. It's football and other F-words. I am your host, Mr. Lebowski. I've got Zach Lyons with me and back with us again from 1025 and the Stillman Show is Caroline Fenton. We have managed to not offend her, and she has decided to come back and optionally speak with us today. Hello, Caroline. Hello, how are y'all doing? And it, it'll take a little bit more than that to offend me, so you haven't scared me off quite yet. So... I, so disclosure, one of the first things I had sent Caroline to ask her to come on the first podcast, Hey, you want to come on? She said, yeah, that sounds good. The next thing I sent her was, listen, we kind of want to talk about these pizza box anti-sex beds for the Olympics. Would this offend you? And as I sent the message and hit send, I was like, this is going to be it right here. Either she's going to send back and say, yeah, I appreciate you asking ahead of time or you're going to have to get the hell out of here. Like, I'm, we're not discussing that. Blocked. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, but he, for- sent, he sent that I- to me, and I, I admittedly, I hadn't seen that yet. And I was like, that's hilarious. Throw it in the rundown. <laughs> <laughs> um, we have a lot to go over, obviously, you know, as we were kind of talking over prepping for the podcast last night, um, a certain John Gruden stepped down, which we're definitely going to discuss that later in the podcast. Just for those listening, we are absolutely going to get to that but first we have to discuss the titans winning against the jacksonville jaguars in 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 uh definitive and decided fashion 37 19 in jacksonville um it was close in the first half and, and i want to get to specific problems i had with the game in just a bit but overall titans are three and two and now with the colts losing on monday night football the Titans have a nice, somewhat comfortable lead in the AFC South. Yeah, the um, it was a sloppy game in the first half. It, I, this offense is just not where it's supposed to be at yet. And I think a little bit has to do with the offensive line. A little bit has to do with Ryan Tannehill not being comfortable with who he's throwing to because hardly anybody was available all offseason for him to throw to. And you, you see that he had that connection with Marcus Johnson, which... I'm not going to give credit to anybody that's retired that used to be on this show as they were right, because, you know, that's why you shouldn't retire. But certain people that used to be a third on the show said that Marcus Johnson was legit the wide receiver three, and he looked to be every bit as comfortable with Ryan Tannehill as Ryan Tannehill is with A.J. Brown and Julio Jones. So chemistry matters, and this offense just for – Five weeks hasn't had chemistry. Week one was the first time everybody was together. They just met each other that morning, it felt like. Week two, A.J. Brown had all of his drops. Week three, uh, they basically both left in, in the middle of the game. Week four, they weren't even there. And here we are. Marcus Johnson and A.J. Brown are the leading the wide receivers. It's just, don't forget, you haven't had Anthony Ferkser. The tight ends are horrible. Jeff Swaim should not be starting. It should be Michael Pruitt and Anthony Ferkser, then Tommy Hudson, then Jeff Swaim at this point, if they're all four healthy. It's just, it's, it's, Jeff Swaim spent as much time on the ground in this last game versus Jacksonville as a former Jacksonville Jaguars tight end and Tim Tebow did in his preseason debut. So it was not, 
it was not a great first half run defense horrible the inside linebackers are just complete trash this whole game but the titans did what everybody wanted them to do and and that was win by double digit points and basically just handle business against the jacksonville jaguars yeah i think one of my biggest things was i i had a, a tough time trying to figure out how to feel about this game because you're right the titans beat the jags by double digits what more can we ask of them at the end of the day you won a divisional game you are that much closer to winning the AFC South. The Titans have set themselves up to be in a pretty solid position. So I didn't really know why I still had apprehensions. And I think that I still had apprehensions because the way that the Titans played, it doesn't make you feel good going into this difficult stretch against the Bills, against the Chiefs, against the Rams. Because the score at the end of the day, I don't think was very indicative of how close that game was in the first half. Because that first touchdown that Kevin Byard scored, I honestly, I thought that was an incomplete pass fourth down. I didn't think that that was going to be a fumble recovery. So that was kind of seven points that I thought the, the Titans were gifted by the refs. And then if you take those seven points away, the first half was way, way closer than it needed to be. I mean, you look at the defense, um, you look at Kevin Byer, you look at Harold Landry. This is a bad man out there on the defense. But then you look at Rashawn Evans, who just cannot fill a gap to save his life. And then you look at Dane Crookshank, who cannot block, block a pass to save his life. You look at this run defense, who let the Jags back up running back run all over them up and down the field. So, you know, there were absolutely some positive things to be taken out of. Kevin Byard, one of the best games of his career. Harold Landry continues to prove himself to be a consistent threat in the pass rush. But then there are other parts of the defense that just continue to take steps back. You look at Derrick Henry rushing for 130 yards, which at this point just starts to feel like habit. It's like, oh, every running back runs for 130 yards with three touchdowns, right? Like that's normal. No, it's not. But <laughs> it's just it Derrick Henry I, normal. It's Derrick Henry normal when you have an absolute freak of a human at running back. Yeah, that does become normal. So, you know, you see Derrick Henry just continuing to do Derrick Henry things. And then you look at Ryan Tannehill by, you know, I can't really – place all of the blame on him for this, but the passing game just hasn't been able to get going. So the Titans did what they needed to do. They won. They beat the Jags by 18 points. They beat them handedly by double digits. I saw some good things, but I also saw some things that really make me nervous for this difficult stretch moving forward. Yeah, you got to really hope that bringing Amani Hooker hopefully back this week can help ease, get Dane Crookshank at least out of there, right? And I just the only way to fix the inside linebacker position at this point is just to not play inside linebackers. Just get rid of the position completely off the defense and just not just not play. Right. I mean, if you're an inside, the only thing that Rashawn Evans had going for him heading into the season was okay. He's a two down linebacker. He can play the run. He's got supposedly got good instincts. Is what everybody kept hammering home. And then he can't even do that anymore. I mean, for what it's worth. And I don't really believe in PFF grades, but this is one of the few times that PFF grades actually match play on the field. He is the worst, absolute worst defender on this Titans team, and he is graded as such. It is it is a perfect marriage of PFF stats that are use, useless and what you see on the field. And he's utterly, utterly useless. I, I don't even know if you can trade him at this point. You might as well just relegate him to the bench and let – I don't, I guess Jayon Brown is still battling through injuries, but I would say Jayon Brown with one hand is better than Rashawn Evans with uh, full, full health. Could be Monty Rice time. Yeah. 
And then he he looked okay for a third round draft pick who doesn't have a lot of playing time. But I mean, it's just it's a mess. You know, I talked about the, the Jets game. I just have inside linebacker envy because they have these great inside linebackers in both spots, and the Tennessee Titans have nothing. And whenever you become envious of Jets fans, I think that's when you know you're in a very dangerous place. Yeah. With your football team. <laughs> yeah, the, these nuts. inside linebackers just drive me nuts. I, I hate it because I, I grew up loving my, – some of my favorite players when I grew up were – inside linebackers and mm-hmm. and it's just it's it's so maddening to see and also as an Alabama fan who had a rough weekend to begin with uh, a former inside linebacker that I wanted here Rashawn Evans because I thought he would progress and do well just completely fall off into trash world Zach why am I not surprised that growing up some of your players were inside linebackers. What the actual hell's wrong with you? Like, I, I love big hits. I, I just love a, them. It's hits a football nerd in the making. Yeah. Like quarterback, no thank you. Cool running backs, no. Give me the inside linebacker. Yeah. Give me the guy What's with that? the big hits. I also don't want to hear about how you as an Alabama fan had a hard week. I don't. I don't oh, listen, any, I, listen I someone no tried to talk shit to and me and I, I really don't care. About it. Yeah, no, uh, I have you, no sympathy. Listen, Caroline, so on, in our group chat uh, for uh, our fantasy football league, there's a bunch of UT fans. And one UT fan it's decided, UT yeah, <laughs> one UT fan started talking shit. I said, I mean, you're a UT fan. So what? One loss. Ooh, big whoop. I'm very scared that Alabama's not going to make the college football playoffs for one year out of the, you know, 20 that they've been. Like, you know, I know he I sound like will. a yeah. It's, he still will. Can't win them all every year. Uh-huh. I'm telling you, this is the beauty of being an old Miss fan. Your expectations are so low that when the when the team goes out for cigarettes and doesn't come home, you don't care. You, it's been fine. happening your entire life. You don't care. They'll be back in a couple weeks. That's okay. They'll be fine. <laughs> I'm you know. With a- I'm, still, French, I'm, nursing so, I'm nursing so many wounds. You know, the Cardinals get knocked out in the most dramatic fashion. LSU football decided that this year they're just not going to play. Maybe they'll be back next year. I don't know. It's just this year has been a, a tough year for the, the Caroline Fenton sports fandom. <laughs> Ken, I've, I've got to bring up the offensive line because it's still offensive. And I just... I keep repeating this line, but they're going to get Tannehill killed. We're at 20 sacks now. Tannehill was sacked 26 times last year. I, I mean, five games in with 20 sacks, I just I don't know what else to say. I, I don't even know what you can fix with the offensive line at this point from a week-to-week standpoint. Caroline, I'm going to throw this terrible question at you. What the hell do you do with the offensive line at this point? And that's an issue that we have seen this entire season. And I'm a little bit nervous for Ryan Tannehill's health because if he continues to get sacked multiple times a game, I don't know how he gets out of this season in one piece. I mean, he has been taking a beating. And I have to, I, and I said earlier, you know, Ryan Tannehill didn't even throw for 200 yards. I'm not going to put all the blame on him because I'm putting a lot of the blame on the offensive line. 
Because I think in the Jets game, you saw a little bit. You saw he kind of got the yips a little bit. He got a little bit nervous. He was kind of second-guessing himself. And it's because he's afraid that he's going to get clobbered. And I understand that he's a veteran quarterback. And I understand that those are probably things that you learn to get out of. But when you get hit seven times a game, that natural fear is going to be there. So I think you saw a little bit of that second-guessing against the Jets and I think also against the Jags that he just – doesn't feel comfortable making those big throws because there are going to be guys that are right behind him and ready to coming for his head basically because he has no protection in front of them. So what is going on with the offensive line? Just block, just protect your quarterback and easier said than done. Obviously I've never played offensive line, but they, there is no protection in the quarterback. And I think that's starting to show in Tannehill's production. Well, they're not hitting their assignments on a consistent mm-hmm. basis, which to me is should be one of the easier parts of it. Obviously, you could be physically outmatched or you can go up against someone that's faster than you. I mean, that's that's part of the game. Not every your your offensive line is not gonna be better than every defensive player out there. Mm-hmm. But they're not even picking up the right assignments or the right blocks, they're just totally whiffing on some points. And you're and you're absolutely right. This Jacksonville game, I could tell watching Ryan Tannehill that he still wasn't comfortable. And this is probably the least amount of pressure that he's faced this season. And he still felt like everybody was coming in way too quick. And not, and I will say this about Tannehill, not everything's going to be perfect. You're going to have to overcome that part and you're going to have to get out of your head, but don't forget, it's not just him getting hit. That's causing him probably to be a little uncomfortable. It's also the fumbles. And it's and to me, when you got the fumbles and the sacks going hand in hand or the sack fumbles, Mm -hmm. it's going to make him nervous. It's going to make him see goes for a little bit. Now, you got to stack good games. So this was an okay game, right? This is probably their best game of the season. Seven total pressures, three sacks. One of them was on Tannehill, Um, you know, one on one for Nate Davis, one for David Questenberry. Lawan had zero. Lawan had a zero sacks, zero pressures. Great game from Taylor Lawan from a pure standpoint of stats. The the problem is is that it's too too early to celebrate Taylor Lawan because we we know that going up against this Bills defense is going to be a lot different than going up against the Jacksonville defense. And let's see him stack again. You got to stack games, and that's how you build confidence. So. Lawan needs to stack some games. You know, to me, the only way the offensive line is going to get fixed is for them all to stay healthy and all out there in, in, in more games and more snaps. When you got Corey Levin coming in and out or whoever's going to replace Roger Saffold, when you have Nate Davis who missed almost all the offseason and they kept rotating right tackles in and out all offseason, every year – under really probably since uh, probably Mike Malarkey, it seems like this off offensive line takes weeks into the season to gel properly. It's ridiculous because that's this basically what the team has allowed. The staff has allowed with how they handle the off season. So we're about to go down this brutal stretch where you face the bills who are, I think number one in defensive DVOA or the number one defense in the NFL. They're generating tons of pressures. And then you got Aaron Donald down the pipeline. You're still going to see the Colts defense again, which is, which can generate pressure at any given point. 
and you still have Kansas City. Chris Jones may not be healthy, so that may help. They're they're not that great, so you get a little bit of relief there. But you don't want to have that. You don't want the offensive line to go into Kansas City where the defense has given up the most yards per play and then just get ransacked by that Kansas City defense because that would be embarrassing. So it's a stretch where you have a chance to prove this offensive line can can get there. It's just this is not the ideal stretch to try to get right. You should be right heading into this game, not getting right. I, I think that's another – sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, you, you mentioned Taylor Lewan and how he had a solid game stat-wise, solid game against the Jags. But that's one issue that I have is that I don't know if that's what I'm going to get from Taylor Lewan week in and week out. There is no consistency and there's no reliability in Taylor Lewan and in this line as a whole. It's like every game I go into, I'm like, I don't know what Taylor Lewan I'm going to see. I don't know what Nate Davis I'm going to see. I don't know what Ben Jones I'm going to see. There's no consistency and there's no reliability. And I think that comes with injuries as well. As you know, we don't like there. This offensive line rotation switches up with injuries, but I think that you make a very good point as well, and that they haven't gelled. And I think that may be the rule, the the root of the inconsistency is they just they're not a cohesive unit yet. I'll bring this up, but I don't know if this is fair or not to bring up. But Taylor Wan tweeted after the game, and I'm going to paraphrase here or something about, "Hey, we had a good game, you know, good good to get the win," and then he ended it with. You know, no off. What's his hashtag? He has no off days or no bad no, days. No bad days. No bad days, mm-hmm. which I thought was kind of silly because I'm thinking, dude, y'all won, but you, your line, your unit is continuing to have bad days. Don't give me this no bad day shit. You have a bad day every day you get out of bed. So I, I, I try not to parse what people are putting on Twitter because it only opens up fans to get after him. But the problem with Luan is that it is out there that he, he, he reads his own social media. He checks his mentions and it apparently bothers him. So why, if you're Taylor Luan, would you put yourself out there to the abuse that he got in those mentions to that tweet specifically of, Oh yeah, no bad days, man. Y'all really look great today as an offensive line. I just don't understand why you would continue to do that. I mean, why try to get back on social media and make some sort of pre celebratory run to the earlier heat he was getting a few weeks ago when he tweeted an apology. And again, fans got after him. You go ahead. The the Twitter is getting a little bit frustrating because, you know, we saw Taylor Lewan tweet, you know, that's my bad, that's on me after the Arizona game. And then Dane Cruikshank tweeted after the game on Sunday, said something along the lines of, I didn't perform like I should have, and I'll come back later. We've seen AJ Brown very active on Twitter. And I am not the kind of person that is shut up and play. I think that players have every single right to do whatever they want to do. If you want a podcast, have a podcast. If you want to tweet, you want to, then tweet. If you want to go in Sports Center, go in Sports Center. I don't care. Whatever you want to do outside of your game is your prerogative. You're only setting yourself up for more success down the, down the line. But when it, when it becomes a problem, like you mentioned with Taylor Lewan, it clearly gets to him. And I don't know if he's using that as fuel to get going. You know, you know, tweet at me, mention me, tell me how bad I am, tell me how bad I suck, and that'll only fuel me to be better for the next game. But the Twitter is getting on my nerves a little bit. Get off of Twitter and get on the field and do better. I can tell you exactly why he keeps coming back to the well and tweeting because for every one of us who is basically just 
so sick of his shit and says, you know, you need to play better. You didn't play well. You have all bad days. There are about five for the boys uh, bussing fans that come in and start attacking your mentions. That's why, because he's getting he's getting his positive reinforcement from his echo chamber of freaking losers who love his who love his podcast. And listen, I listen to his podcast, but there is a difference between being a fan of a podcast and being a real fan of a team. And a real fan of the team is going to let you know that Taylor Lewan has sucked for the majority of this season. And one bad game does not erase everything that he's done. And that is the problem. That is the it's 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 a problem with all forms of fandom in and everything. You know, Marcus never could do anything wrong here for a certain section of the of the fan base. The same is is true for Taylor Lewan. There there are people that just have fallen in love with For the Boys and Spooktober and all that stuff, which is fine. I'm not telling you you can't be a fan. It's like it's like me personally, I don't like jerseys, but there are people that wear jerseys all the time, and that that is fine. You should not base your life around what I say is cool, not cool, trendy, not trendy, whatever. But there's a certain line where you have to take a step back and say, oh, you can do some wrong and I can still be a fan of your show or a fan of the team. I love Jim Carrey growing up, but he made some crap movies there for a while that I will not stand and watch. That is okay. I still love Jim Carrey. I still love going back and watching some stuff. The, The thing is that people are just so obsessed with what these players think about them and they don't know your name. They probably barely know your Twitter handle if they see you. It, it's ridiculous. It's like the people who, if you're talking about a stat or something, I put up a stat about um, the pressures yesterday. And someone quote tweets and says, good job at Taylor Lewan. Like, why? What, what is wrong with you? Why, 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 do you, why do you need this? Why, why do you need this validation? Yeah, like give me a give me a break. It's just the most annoying thing ever. I, I just I hate Twitter. I love Twitter because obviously Twitter helps you know the podcast. But I ultimately I hate Twitter. Like if there was as much like Facebook, I could just get rid of Twitter. I would be fine with it. I won't. But yeah, I could. I, 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 I could. You're not going to. Yeah. <laughs> Zach, you're not off base with anything you say. But the only part I'm going to throw out there that that I ultimately do care about uh, outside of jerseys and stuff like that, cr- call it a grown man daddy. I, I, yeah. Okay, A, the so phrase weird. daddy past like 14 is kind of creepy. And B, grown men calling someone who is not their father daddy, it, it, it bugs me to a level that I, I can't stay quiet on. Don't call this man daddy. He's not your daddy. It's so weird for me to say the word daddy. I'm not going to say it anymore. Today. I think it's weird to call Amy Adams drunk mom. I, I think it's all. Oh, yeah. I no, I do too. It's so weird. I, that drives and me it's, nuts. It's like the, the University of Tennessee baseball hats. The daddy hats. When oh, I have not seen men. this. Oh, it's so Tennessee baseball, whenever they get a home run, they wear a daddy hat. That's like their celebration <laughs> thing, like their turnover chain, whatever. There's a hat that says daddy and they wear it. And I don't think that everyone really knows what that means because I've seen grown men wear orange hats that say daddy and white. And I just want to say, no, take, sir, take it off. Take that hat off, please. Like, it's, don't, don't use the word. Don't, what is- don't, 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 don't,
So the players wear it or the fans wear it? Well, the players wear it whenever they hit a home run, but it kind of became a thing where the fans wore them also, just kind of as like a, you know, support thing. But don't, just don't yeah. wear it. Lebowski, I would like to go back. Wear it. It's weird when, when young girls wear it. It's just weird. Yeah. Lebowski, I'd like to go back and remind you that over the summer when Vandy baseball was going on, all this the baseball stuff, we, we actually talked about baseball on the podcast. And I said that they were the douchiest players of any sport are baseball players. Case in point. I think I would agree with Daddy that. Daddy hats. Yep. I would agree with da- that. Daddy hat. Like, what is it with the state of Tennessee? And like the first time I saw people, namely girls, walking around with a hat that said smash, I was like, what am I missing? What's going on? And then I realized I had to do it. Yeah, and I was like, oh, oh well, okay. I, I don't know if that makes it better, but okay. And now it's like grown men calling people daddy. UT baseball team, stop with the daddy. I've already said it three more times and it's gross and I just don't want to deal with it. That's also, a, it was like a fun conversation that I had. Um, my older sister went to the University of South Carolina. So oh, I would no. visit, got a t-shirt from the bookstore. Oh, no. And then whenever I would wear it in St. Louis, where I know, I don't, a shirt that says Cox, probably taken <laughs> a little bit out of context. Um, but at least that actually has a, a real meeting. The daddy hat or, you know, a jer- Taylor Laundry that says dad. Just straight up weird. Oh, that is totally weird. I mean, just you're just compiling a bunch of stuff that's weird anyway. So, you know, just, you know. I, I just don't, I, I don't know what to do with that. There's someone out there right now, somewhere in, a, in, a, in an alternate universe that's walking around with smash pants, a cock shirt, and a daddy hat. And then just people just don't understand. Like, what, what's with that's you? Fine. You're just, you're just leaving your fantasies fan. out in front of everybody. You're a sports fan. <laughs> You're a sports fan. Um, my God, where are we? Well, let me pick this <laughs> mind part back up and put it back on the tracks. Overall, this kind of goes back, Caroline, to a debate that we've been having kind of heatedly behind the scenes within Broadway sports of what, like, what is the emotional state of this fan base with with the titans and overall is this titans team actually a good team you know it started really after the jets loss of our former colleague mike we've been having a good time joking about how this jets team broke him or i'm sorry the jets loss broke him i was kind of along that train as well it really got under my skin but i'm glad the titans won but I'll, i'll i'll throw it out there as this the Titans team I saw play the Jacksonville Jaguars is not going to beat that Bills team I, we saw on Sunday night. I just, I, I believe that. Now you get seven days down the road with, you know, healing and practice and that kind of stuff. Maybe fortunes change, but the teams, the two teams we saw on Sunday, I just don't think you match them up. The Titans are going to beat that Bills team. I'll throw it out there like this. Is this Titans team a good team? See, this shouldn't be a difficult question, but Jared asked me this question on Stillman and Company yesterday, and I really had to sit there and think about it because I don't think they're a good team, but I also don't think that they're a bad team. I think this team is just is average with really good parts. You know, you got a you got a future Hall of Famer running back. You have a really solid quarterback. You have a future Hall of Famer wide receiver and one that could probably write his resume for the Hall of Fame. You know, definitely the Pro Bowl. So this team has such good pieces. They've been hit by the injury. They were hit in a preseason with COVID that I, I truly believe that that kind of put a hiccup in a lot of Mike Brabel's preseason plans. 
and maybe got the season off to a slow start. So, you know, they've done good things and they've also done some really bad, stupid, dumb things and stupid mistakes. I think this team is average. I think that they pull out wins. Like, I really do think that between the stretch of the Bills, Chiefs, and Rams, they pull out a win in at least one of them. So I think that they do win games that they probably on paper aren't supposed to win. And they already have lost a game that they really were not supposed to lose. So I think that this team is average. They're going to win the division because the Colts suck. The Texans suck. The Jags suck. They're going to win the division. They may win a few playoff games. But there's nothing that I've seen about this team that makes me think Super Bowl, that makes me think AFC championship. But the Titans have done crazier things. They play up to their opponents, but they also play down to their opponents. So this team is average. I think they are middle of the pack in the AFC. I think that when if if you're going to look at this, have they played up to expectations? No. And so I agree that the, this team so far has looked like a very average team. But this is also a team that still has a long way to go to get healthy, to get right, and get some players back that can make a difference. I mean, Amani Hooker, Bud Dupree can make a difference for this team. Caleb Farley looked pretty good. He... You know, he got bailed out because Trevor Lawrence missed a wide open LaVisca Chenault. But for the most part, he had a good game. The more that that defense gets healthy and the more that defense plays together with Jeffrey Simmons and Harold Landry, they got playmakers at every level. They got Kevin Byard looks looks to be rebounding. Christian Fulton is a shutdown when he's on the outside. Harold Landry is a linebacker that is just playing out of his mind right now. And then you also have Jeffrey Simmons and Danico Autry really both playing really, really well over these last few weeks. And you look at the offense, like I said earlier in the show, they still haven't had a full complement of time and players readily available at the same time. So right now, middle of the pack AFC team, I, I, think that when you look at the stretch of the Bills, the Chiefs, the Colts, and then the Rams, I think they end up two and two. I said there's a good chance they could be three and one just because this Chiefs team is not that great on defense. And I think the Colts, they're going to beat the Colts. Mm -hmm. If anything that can happen with this Tennessee Titans team is that they somehow, after two weeks ago losing to the Jets, they somehow come out to the Buffalo Bills, who probably didn't get home in Buffalo until about six-something in the morning almost in their time, Eastern time, they somehow beat the Bills. Isn't that just exactly what this Tennessee Titans is known to do? Is they lose a game they shouldn't, and they win a game they definitely shouldn't. And, you know, if Julio Jones is back, because it's Monday Night Football, so you get an extra day. If Julio Jones is back, Monty Hooker's back. Maybe Darrington Evans is back. That changes a lot of what this team can do on offense and defense. And, you know, they've been giving Bud Dupree a little bit of time. Maybe he'll be ready next week, even though he really opened up saying that he kind of rushed it. it. It will be interesting to see what the team is on Monday Night Football. But if they lose to the Bills in embarrassing fashion or get smoked, just remember that the Chiefs just got smoked. And they were in the Super Bowl. It's it's in every Sunday league. It truly is. You never know what anybody can really do. You got to remember that this 
Buffalo Bills team lost to the Pittsburgh Steelers in week one, and they have no business losing the Pittsburgh Steelers. Just like the Tennessee Titans had no business losing to the Jets. It, it, it happens. And I'll say this. I'm going to go with a Titans win on Sunday. I, I just think that they somehow, or Monday, I think they somehow pull it off. I, I don't know how to answer my own question because I agree with the two of you all that I, I feel like they're a middle-of-the-pack team. But, Zach, what you just said about every Sunday in the league, it, it truly, your fortunes can change any Sunday. Here's the comparison I'll make, and I understand the team I'm comparing them to, but if you dig back through the fog of 2020, which will go down as one of the most hated years ever of our generation, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were not a good team when they started out. Now, the, the injury comparison and the talent levels, whatever, you can debate that. But Tampa Bay's start to the 2020 season was not good. There was a lot of pundit talk around, did Tom Brady make a mistake going to Tampa? Should he have retired? You know, how does Tom fare trying to come into the playoffs as a high seed? It wasn't until the end of the year and into the playoffs when they really heated up, gelled as a unit, and started kicking ass. So, your fortunes can change as a team, and if they struggle, if they, being the Titans, struggle early and peak late, perfect, right? That's fine. But exactly. So it's almost it's farcical to have an argument right now about whether or not the team's good because you just have to let them play week to week. But that has been the frustration is that on paper, and again, this is something that I feel like Zach and I have talked about to we're blue in the face before, don't judge things on paper. I'll make an example. One of the things that I'm having a good laugh about in our fantasy football league of all things is that someone keeps putting out these power rankings of our teams and they're like, oh, it's based on your future schedule and what the players may do. Now, how stupid is that? Could you imagine putting out NFL power rankings, not based on how the team is currently playing, but what they look like on paper and what their schedule is? I mean, you'd have teams like Kansas City, and the Ravens would constantly be like one and two, just going through the whole set. That's stupid. That's that's ridiculous projection. So it, it, trying to look at what's on paper, the staff you have, and define if that's a good team versus the product you're seeing on the field, it really honestly doesn't matter until you start to get to like week 13, week 14, and you're secure, trying to secure playoff seating. That's when I think you can start to make a determination about whether or not this team is going to destroy your hopes in the first round. Yeah, the, and, that's and, what's ridiculous about DVOA, too, is because it takes into account future stuff and they have the easiest schedule in DVOA. Well, what if there's like they have injuries? You know, I, I get that football is not a perfect sport and football is just one of those sports where you have weird upsets almost every week that should never happen. You have weird things like the Detroit Lions have now lost two or three games where the, the clock is at zero and somehow they still get a field goal off. And, you know, it's just, it's wild. It's a wild sport that it can't, some things are predictable, right? I mean, Dallas Cowboys are probably going to beat the New England Patriots, but does would anybody be surprised if Bill Belichick somehow figured up some masterful defensive game plan where he basically just runs the ball constantly on Dallas and just plays good defense and they win 17 to 14? It could happen. I mean, it's just it's just one of those years. This year, more than anything, I feel it's a the NFL weekly schedule and the weekly slate of games are a little bit less predictable than it was last year. 
I mean, yeah, I mean, every t- they are, they're all professional football players. Crazy things happened in the NFL last night. I mean, the Colts really had no business playing Baltimore that close. You're looking at it on paper, Baltimore's a much better team. And the Colts have been dealing with so many injuries that you would think, well, hey, Baltimore's going to blow them out of the water. But crazy things happen in the NFL. So I am not counting out that the Titans could go 3-0 and against the Chiefs, Rams, and Bills. I'm not going to put money on it, but I'm not going to say that it's completely out of the picture. And I think that injuries are going to very, play a very key part in this and that getting Bud, a healthy Bud Dupree, a 100% healthy Caleb Farley with a little bit more experience under this belt in the NFL, a healthy A.J. Brown, a healthy Julio Jones, that makes a completely different team. I'm not counting out that the Titans could go and make a long playoff run. I just haven't seen enough consistency in this team yet. I think that the offensive line needs to make some serious adjustments. Like I mentioned, injuries. Getting those guys back is going to make a completely different – it's going to completely change this team. And I think also prioritizing not giving Derrick Henry the ball 30 times a game. Because it's working. And it's like, okay, well, hey, if it's not broken, don't fix it. I just don't know how sustainable it is to give Derrick Henry the ball 30 times a game and have him run 150 yards. So I think that getting a better balance on this offense makes me feel a lot better about this team moving forward and the longevity of this team. Yeah, I think once Darrington Evans comes back and hopefully, you know, plays more than two or three games for going back on IR and mm-hmm. also getting Julio Jones fully healthy and having a fully a fully healthy complement of wide receivers, I think all that changes. I, I think you yeah. saw, I think in the Colts game, the Seahawks game, and this game, you saw more what this offense wants to be. Mm-hmm. You, you saw it on the high tempo uh, set of drives and everybody's like, oh, this is the Todd Downing. We need every drive. And, you know, you saw it on Twitter. I, I think those are the games you look at. And that's what this team wants to be a little bit of Ryan Tannehill, a little bit more of Derrick Henry. But the offensive line really hasn't allowed it. And when they do go to Ryan Tannehill, it just kind of looks, you know, a little disjointed. Mm-hmm. It's week five. We still have we still have twelve games to go in the regular season before you know the playoffs, and that's a not including you know a bye week that's you know in there in week thirteen, which can't come soon enough. Man, that's a really long way away for uh, this Tennessee Titans team that needs a bye week bad. But you look at it, and that's a long, long time in the NFL to to get everything correct, especially when you consider that most of these players that are currently on the cusp of returning or on the cusp of being where they need to be is just a couple of weeks away, more than likely, you know, you hope it's this week, but maybe just a couple more weeks away. All right. Tennessee with Buffalo coming to town, Monday night football. Um, Caroline, are you going to the game? I am going to the game. Very nice. I will be there. I'm excited. You, Monday night football is a blast. No matter where you are, it's it's a it's a damn good time. So that that should be fun. It should be a good game. I hope it's a good game. It it really needs to be just a gunslinging battle. We I want to see the offense that the Titans have been promised. You know, I mm-hmm. I, I, I want to see this. What are we going to do? How are they going to stop AJ Brown, Julio Jones, and Derrick Henry? I, I want to see that matched up. Um, but I got to go back to the Jacksonville Jaguars real quick because we got to talk about Urban Meyer. This man is a gift that keeps on dumbassing. And, and I just, I really can't get enough of this man. I, I, as a matter of fact, I'm reading this book called Revolution Songs about the Revolutionary War. 
And I had a dream last night. I was in the Revolutionary War and my general was Urban Meyer. My first thought was oh. this dumbass. Oh, and, no. Yeah. It's just That's like when you I ride home and you're like, it's sorry, y'all. Like, I don't know how long I'm going to last. Yeah. My apologies, Penelope. Our yeah. general left us on the battlefield so that he could go hang out in a tavern and <laughs> mess around with this winch. So um, after the game, Urban Meyer gets a press conference in, in, in the loss to the Titans in which he told the press that Lawrence was not quite comfortable with a quarterback sneak on the goal line. And then Trevor Lawrence gets up in front of the mic and says, no, I feel comfortable. Obviously I haven't run it in a game, but I feel comfortable doing that. But no, a QB sneak is something we all get to do. And I feel comfortable with it. Like the guy, <laughs> I know that's a small caveat to pick at, but when you compare it to, his team laughing at him all week and breaking a hole by yelling grind. And it just, it, there is a lack of communication in this locker room, or maybe I should say it's a lack of them taking this man seriously. And I think it's pretty evident. I think it's kind of bad. And I think you can read into it that you don't know how your quarterback is going to answer the question about the quarterback sneak. You're saying he's not comfortable with it, but he's saying it is. Do you talk to this man? Do you coach him? Do you guide him? I I want Urban Meyer to get what he deserves, which is fired immediately. But I kind of want this man to stick around for like three more years because he is the trash heap of disaster that we thought he would be. Well, and it, it's the constant throwing under the bus of Trevor Lawrence because it's, yeah. oh, he's not comfortable with the quarterback sneak because that probably makes Urban Meyer look better. Like, oh, we're not going to call something that Trevor's uncomfortable with. And then I go back to his press conference, I maybe the Sunday or Monday after all of his um, gallivanting on the town. And he <laughs> said, you know, I, I told Trevor when he went to his bachelor trip, you know, don't do anything dumb. Don't bring Trevor into this. This isn't about Trevor's bachelor party. This is about you. This is about your mistakes. Don't bring Trevor into this. So it, it's the constant just like trying to cover up and trying to make himself look better. But in the process, it just makes him look so much worse. And I really don't know how much respect this Jacksonville Jaguars team has for Urban Meyer. I don't want to say they don't respect him because I don't know. I would just have a very hard time respecting and trusting a coach that continuously throws my quarterback under the bus, makes excuses for this team, even though they're 0-5. It's just an absolute dumpster fire in Jacksonville. And I almost feel bad for Trevor Lawrence that a guy with that much talent and a guy with that much heart for the game has to deal with this bozo as his head coach. Uh, the, the whole thing to me is I've, I've picked up on some big tidbits. So when I went, I was in the car for the first about 15, 20 minutes of the game. So I got to listen to Mike Keith and Dan McGinnis or Dave McGinnis. And, um, he said, Mike, he said, I guess during their oppo research, you know, doing the interviews and everything with the opposing team, that the sweet spot for the Jaguars passing game is about 25 attempts per game, which is a wild thing to say when you have Trevor Lawrence as your quarterback in a pass, in a, a, basically a passing league. And there is there's not a doubt in my mind. There's never been a doubt in my mind that Urban Meyer would not succeed in the NFL. It, it was written in stone as soon as he got the job. He has exceeded my expectations and how much of a dumpster fire he actually is as a person and as a football coach. 
it, it's just wild to me that this guy wants to get 250 yards on the ground and 250 yards in the air when he never did that yeah. in college. Like, well, where are you pulling these stats from? I mean, what is that? Yeah, I, I don't. I, that's not a winning formula to just pigeonhole your offense into this stuff. And he, he also got two run first coaches, right? He got run first coach and Daryl Bevel and the quarterback coach of Brian Schottenheimer, who snubbed Trevor Lawrence when Georgia was trying to recruit Trevor Lawrence. I mean, Brian Schottenheimer snubbed Trevor Lawrence back when he was in high school. And now they're throwing him under the bus. This is just beyond my wildest dreams of how this whole Urban Meyer experiment would have gone. It is, it is beautiful. I really, really hope that he's at least there for five more years because at this point I don't want him to leave. You don't want, and granted if he did get fired or he did quit, they would still have a bad head coach, probably Schottenheimer or Daryl Bevel. I mean, one of those guys would probably take over the head coach position. They both suck too. So it wouldn't really change anything, but the off the field stuff and the press conferences would totally be gone. And that's to me, that's not worth urban Meyer losing his job for. He needs to stay here to provide us entertainment and weekly talking points. And it's good news for Titans fans if he stays yeah. in Jacksonville. They'll just continue to be bad. And, hey, that's automatic third place, at least for the Titans. Yeah. I'll take it. I, I can't get it. enough. I'll take it. I think the man's gross. I think he's a gross human being, and he, he reaps what he sows. So, yeah, I – um. <clears throat> can't say I'm exactly upset about it. I, I, uh, I relish in it. I, honestly, look, a little bit is, is selfish because we spent the entire off season since the moment he was hired predicting what a disaster he would be. The only thing we've been wrong about. So, well, maybe I can't say this definitively because he still has a job, but I was telling Zach that I was like, Oh yeah, listen, he won't make it through year two. He'll, well, he'll retire after year two is what I said. I'm pretty sure I'm going to make through year one. I'm going to be wrong. And, uh, but yeah, he's, he's the gift that keeps on giving. And I, I'm not upset about it. Well, about a month ago, I asked Jared Silman and Joe Rexroad, I said, over under three years, Urban Meyer in Jacksonville. And they were all like, oh, over, over. He'll last longer than three years. That's crazy. Of course, over. And after all of this Urban Meyer stuff came out, I was like, do you want to maybe reevaluate? Because I hammered the under <laughs> on three years, and I feel really good about that right about now. Yeah, I think I think three years was generous. I think we set it yeah. at 2.5, and I was like, eh, it could be 1.5, because now I'm thinking he may not even make the now, year, which would be very unfortunate. 0.5. Yeah. We got to talk about John Gruden. This man took a mess that was simmering and turned into a full rolling boil by the time the first quarter of Monday night football was just coming to an end. New York times put out a report saying that Gruden used misogynistic and anti-gay language in multiple emails during a seven year period. And uh, this had followed up an earlier report a few days before that in a 10 year old email, he had used a racist comment describing DeMaurice Smith. I, Here's ultimately my my going to be my talking point with this whole thing is not that not that he was ultimately let go or the the manner when he was let go. It's that the quick rush on social media to start listing it as cancel culture and all that. We're, we're going to come back to that in a minute. But with John Gruden, 
it, it, it just, it bothers me to see that a man apparently was so comfortable using this language. He was typing it out in emails. I, I mean, I'm not trying to disparage or, or, or disperse the idea that you don't put that in emails. You should know better than to put that in an email not to, you know, to detract from the part of use that language in private, but don't ever put it in an email. But in a work setting, I, I feel like that any natural person in business knows that don't put things in emails you would regret. But if you're using this language, I think you're using this language so frequently, you're comfortable with typing in an email. That's a level of stupid I can't get behind. And, and frankly, hey, bye. I mean, if that's the way you're going to act, bye. Yeah, I mean, I guess my thing is, is that I, I'm, I'm tired of cancel culture, but I'm also tired of misusing the word or term cancel culture and tired of the term anyway. Like, I'm just... I'm tired of it all. This is not fall. This does not fall under the, the term cancel culture. This falls under the term of accountability and what he said and how he said it. And over the many years of him saying it, a lot of people think it's just 10 years ago. Well, there's stuff that he sent in 2012. There's stuff that he sent, you know, just a few years ago. I mean, this is not just one thing. This is coming from 600,000 emails that supposedly were in the Washington football team database. And this is just the first step of it. Like, this is just the first set of those emails that they've been able to comb through. I mean, we're talking about 600,000 or more emails from this scandal and investigation because, there's also Bruce Allen having these Washington football uh, cheerleaders pose topless and him spreading those pictures among all of his buddies. Um, this, this is going to be the, one of the biggest sports scandals in, in probably sports history from start to finish. And this is just the start because you're talking about John Gruden who not only used disgusting language, but also circulated these women's pictures, who also was racist in some of those terms is used, I mean, misogynistic, homophobia, none of that's acceptable. It doesn't matter, really, in my opinion, when you used it. it you, you know, when you can, when, I guess, the statute of limitations is up, because everybody wants to put statute of limitations up. When you're a child, and then you're told that that's wrong to say, that's when it should end. Like children say some stupid stuff and they don't know. They hear it from somewhere else or hear it from here. When you're told that that's wrong to say and that's stupid, you probably that's when it should end. And just because it was 10 years ago or yesterday, this is a guy that has to go in and face his team. And I get that people should get second chances and forgiveness and all that, but they should also feel some punishment. And I think that's the, my big thing is that look i'm a white man i get a lot of i get a lot of leeway i get a lot of uh things in my in um uh, in my favor and the fact that i think he should be held accountable and that he should have lost his job does that mean that he should be forgiven later on down the line no he should be forgiven he should be given a second chance maybe not to coach but he should be given a second chance at having a life that this is not clouding and hovering over him if he changes. 
But that doesn't mean that he gets to go off scot-free because you want to play the forgiveness card. Oh, well, we got to forgive him. It was just 10 years ago. No, he should wreak some punishment and have to suffer for what he said and ultimately what he sent out. It's just it's ridiculous to me that accountability and cancel culture go hand in hand. When cancel culture, I'm going to say some, it obviously doesn't exist. That to I mean, I'm sorry. I wish you know more people were held accountable, but we see people go to jail for something and then they're immediately out. Uh, that were under the cancel culture, like Bill Cosby, already out of jail, and he shouldn't be. And I just don't get the fact that people people just misuse the term. I went on a big tirade. I think I lost my point somewhere like five minutes down the in, in the middle of it. it. Tends to happen with me, but. Ultimately, John Gruden got what he deserves. There's going to be more people that get what they deserve when more of these emails come out. And there's going to be a big cleaning of the house inside of all the NFL and some different levels of the uh, because this email, this isn't the end of this email chain. Yeah, Nicole Auerbach of The Athletic tweeted this last night, and I think it kind of perfectly sums it all up. She said it isn't cancel culture when your company sees something you did or said and wants to hold you accountable for it after they find out about it. It's not cancel culture. And I understand, yeah, you know, it was 10 years ago. But 10 years ago, John Gruden was still a grown man in a position of power. And I understand, you know, I understand that you can grow and you can learn and you can change your perspective on things. And I totally am willing to give people second chances whenever they you know, maybe made a stupid mistake and they were able to learn from it. And now they're an advocate for whatever that is. I totally understand that. And I'm able to offer people grace, 100%. I think a lot of people are saying, well, what about the First Amendment? You know, he's not going to go to jail for the things that he said. The first, you are allowed under the First Amendment to say those things, however terrible and awful and misogynistic and homophobic and racist they may have been. But it is not your right to be a head football coach in the NFL. That's not your right under the Constitution. There are only 32 of those jobs in the world. So whenever you use language like that, whenever you have an openly gay player on your team, I mean, my heart just goes out to Carl Nassib for him reading those things that his head coach said. Whenever you work in a predominantly Black league and then you say blatantly racist things, you no longer have that right to have one of only 32 jobs in the world. You don't get that right anymore. You're no longer protected under the First Amendment because the NFL doesn't work under the Constitution of the United States. So I, I, I hear those people who say, you know, that's not fair. You know, you're canceling him. He, you have a right to say that he's not going to go to jail, but you don't have a right to be a head coach in the NFL anymore. If you're going to be like that, if you're going to use language like that, if you're going to be so blatantly disrespectful and rude and just plain disgusting, and the way Adam Schefter said it, just, you know, blatant discrimination or blanket discrimination to just about everyone that he could have offended he did you no longer have that right to hold that position of power so it's it's disheartening to see what he said um and you know my heart just goes out to his players because i'm sure that was incredibly difficult to read and to hear about your coach yeah that's that's where it it, it bothers me is because it's a predominantly black league and I, I've got to feel, I've got to think that there is some, somewhat of a feeling of, you know, well, he, here we are again, here we go again, you know? Mm -hmm. and, and so I guess I'll address it like this and I'll try to say this carefully, but I, I agree that I don't agree with cancel culture as a whole. I think that social media, especially is, 
really bad about, oh, this person, especially like teenagers, mm-hmm. you know, teenagers do stupid stuff. They say stupid stuff. And I think if you pin it down, like Zach said, and say, listen, you're old enough to understand what you're saying, but I don't think you are old enough to quite understand consequences that follow that. That's not mm-hmm. correct behavior. And you got to change it. I think going after, you know, you see this football recruits, someone gets recruited to a college and then it comes out, there's a video of them saying something dumb. And so that part bothers me. But with this stuff, this is a grown man who said it repeatedly in emails. And that's why I have zero sympathy for it. And when people want to start screaming, oh, well, cancer culture, are we going to dig up the emails of everybody else to see what they said? I'm not in favor of digging up people's emails specifically to look for things. But if it comes out that another coach has said something similar, bye. If this is what it takes for people to learn not to be an asshole, then fair enough. I I mean, it's going to be a long road. This is not something that is going to be fixed. Racism is not going to be fixed overnight. Misogyny is not going to be fixed overnight. So if it takes people getting fired for something they did seven years ago or 10 years ago in a pervasive manner for them, for culture to start to change a little bit, I'm kind of okay with that. I'm not okay with targeting kids and teenagers and things without offering some sort of forgiveness, but this is a grown man. And he apparently used this language enough to keep putting it in emails. I have zero sympathy for it. If the man wants forgiveness later and wants to show contrition, fine. We'll handle that. The, where I do want to switch gears with what exactly what Zach was saying. I think this is just the tip of the spear. Because the Washington football team was raided by the FBI to dig out a lot of these emails concerning Bruce Allen. And I I think some more dominoes will fall. So this could get uglier. And frankly, for the Washington football team, it should get uglier. The way that that whole thing with the they treated the way they treated their cheerleading squad is almost a group of call girls is despicable. It's despicable and it should come out and people heads should roll. So not a lot of sympathy on my side for it. You know, people want to say, I can't believe you guys are doing this to John Gruden, or I can't believe y'all are trying to cancel John Gruden or blah, 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 or he lost his job because of y'all. No, let's be very clear why John Gruden lost his job. He lost his job because John Gruden decided to send emails from johngruden.hotmail.com to, you know, all these, um, his buddies, you know, the owner of Hooters, Bruce Allen, and uh, the uh, part owner of PDQ Kitchens and stuff like that, you know, he decided to send these personal emails out and talk bad in a way that you don't have to use language, right? You don't have to use um, the F word as to describe Roger Goodell. You can use idiot, loser, dumbass you can use all those and accurately still describe what roger goodell is you don't have to use these other terms that is the the issue at hand is that he himself you know everybody's like well this is 10 years ago he's probably he could have changed this isn't a 17 year old john gruden sending emails out i mean this is a guy that has been around the league for a while 10 years ago, he was 48 years old. You mean to tell me that John Gruden, 48 years old, didn't know that using this language was inappropriate? A guy that's been in the league. And didn't understand that emails and the internet lives forever. Right. Because I'll say this, and I think I actually have him up. 
I have a John Gruden book actually up here that I've realized I probably need to be taken down, but it's one of the first books about football that I read. This guy knows how to use a computer. Read this book. This guy is smart. He knows how to use a computer. He knows how computers work. There is no way that he did not know. He did not. He believed in the words that he was using and the words that he was saying to get. And he was in an angry, whether he was in an angry state of mind or a calm state of mind, he was pissed. And these are the words that he chose to accurately describe what he was feeling towards other people. And he knows he is. He was a 48 year old man. He knows those words are unacceptable back in 2011, just as they are in 2021. Those words have been unacceptable since at least since I've been alive, I feel like. I mean, maybe they grew more unac- you know, unacceptable probably around 95, but that's still in the 90s. Like, give me a break that this is okay for someone to say, that is 48 years old and has been around the league and has been around players of all different types. Been a, He worked for ESPN, and I'm sure there are people at ESPN that are all different types of sexuality. So he has been around people. And the people defending John Gruden, just give me a break. You, yeah. you do not come off as someone that I ever want to associate with or hang out with. And I think you're downplaying the severity of someone's comments because you want to say, well, he could have changed in the last 10 years. Hey, guess what? He could have changed. He also could have not changed in the last 10 years. Have you ever thought about that? Yeah, I, I think back to something that someone told me very, very early in my career. They said, just work hard and be nice to people. That's all it takes. Just work hard and be nice to people. And I guarantee you, you will never lose a job because of anything like this. That's what I have to tell John Gruden. Just be nice to people. I mean, that's at the end of the day. And I swear nobody is going to dig up old texts, emails, tweets, whatever it is, and make it a fireable offense. Well, and that's to Zach's point. That's really what irks me when I see. And I know there it's hard to disseminate these days between people who are truthfully outraged and those who are doing it for clicks and all that. But it does bother me to see people saying, oh, well, how many other coaches and owners out there are sweating right now that someone's going to unlawfully go through their emails and all that. You know what? If you're out there sweating, wondering about what you've written and if it's going to come out, that it's hard for me to have sympathy for that. If you're sitting there thinking back through things that you may have typed and sent because you have history of saying racist, misogynistic, and terrible things, I, I kind of have a lot of sympathy for that that's called karma it's yes i mean so look i don't want to see open witch hunts but when these things come to light they need to be dealt with and i think that the raiders handled it appropriately so john gruden's out and there's going to be more to come out of this and and there should be more to come out of this i'm not looking for specific people to be targeted but just how disgusting that Washington football team thing has been for years. I, you know, it, it, I certainly would think that there's going to be more to come out of this. It's not just going to be a coincidence that the Raiders head football coach loses his job over an investigation into someone who worked for the Washington football team. And so, don't forget whose uh, brother worked for the Washington football team was their head coach for the long time. And that was Jay Gruden, who is still a, I believe a coordinator somewhere around the NFL. I and mean, I could be wrong on that. Talk about he'll he'll be next. Bruce yeah. Allen's going to be involved in that. Um, 
I wouldn't be surprised. Of course, the Snyder family will probably be involved. I, and you never know who they're exchanging emails with that is in the league currently that is going to get caught in all this. The, the thing about this whole Raiders situation is that everybody's like, well, I can't believe the Raiders waited around to fire him and let him coach a game. John Gruden signed a 10-year, $100 million fully guaranteed contract. I am sure lawyers, when this got brought up, I'm sure lawyers had to get into that contract and figure out what is the best way for the Raiders to get out of this contract and get him out of there. Because once, basically, once Mark Davis landed, he went straight to find Gruden and was basically like, dude, you're going to have to resign. So I think the Raiders handled it as, it may not be as quickly as everybody wanted it to be, but I think they handled it in the correct way because if you go back through the Raiders' history, this is probably the most pro-African-American franchise out there, the first African-American head coach. I, I went into this uh, at one of our podcasts, but the Raiders have always been a pro-African-American franchise. And to me, I knew that when that stuff came out about DeMora Smith before this other stuff – I knew there was going to be something that was going to happen to Gruden just because of the history of that franchise in particular. And I, I tweeted about this last night, but I've seen a lot of college football message boards, NFL message boards saying, okay, let's go out and hire John Gruden. Like, what kind of apology is it going to take from John Gruden for us to hire him? I saw it in LSU message boards, Miami message boards. I'm sure there are several more. You are not that desperate as a college football fan, of a fan of your team, you are not so desperate that you would hire John Gruden after you saw these emails, after, saw, after you saw what came out about what he said, the things that he, that came out of his, you know, let's just call it mouth, and it was an email, but I'm sure those things have come out of his mouth as well. And if you genuinely want John Gruden to be the next head coach of whatever team it is that you're a fan of, shame on you. There are so many people out there that are overly qualified for that position and haven't said those things. Oh, this is a conversation. I feel like we're not going to see an end of quickly, not just with John Gruden, but unfortunately it, it just, this is the kind of thing that happens when culture starts to grow. There were words that were used in 1700s and 1800s to describe people of color that are disgusting and are not commonplace nowadays and not accepted. So this is, it's just going to continue to move forward. These are going to be the nasty growing pains that come out of it. And grown men and women are going to have to learn to act like adults. And the younger generation is just going to have to learn seeing these adults failing at it, that you can't act this way in society. So, mm. um, well, interesting end of the podcast, but I appreciate you helping us navigate through it, Caroline. Um, Caroline, what you got going on? You got any podcasts or anything that you would like to pimp out for us? Well, every Monday through Friday, 2 to 6, I'll be on Stillman and Company. And every Saturday morning at 10 a.m., I live stream Southeastern Carolines from 10 to 10.30 on ESPN 1025 The Games, Twitter, Twitch, and YouTube. So I make all of my SEC picks for the day. Any kind of betting advice that you may need, throw some money on the games on Saturday. You can tune in on social media as well. And you can follow me on Twitter at CarolineCentrum1. Love it. Thank you for coming on. Really appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you all for having me. I look forward to chatting with you all soon. This is Football and Other F-Words. Appreciate you tuning in as always. We are brought to you by BroadwaySportsMedia.com. Please rate, review, subscribe. You have friends, relatives, next-door neighbors, cats. Tell them that you listen to us. 
and ask them to listen. And if you don't, I don't know what you're still doing here, but I really appreciate you listening and, and picking up some audio for an hour. Um, again, we're football and other F words. Enjoy the rest of your week. You've just been out. A Broadway sports media production.